This was originally supposed to be a discussion on the difference between rage and anger, something that is extremely relevant right now. And we do cover that, but Shalak Cash and I also go much more broadly and personally as well. This is really just a spontaneous conversation she and I had with each other and decided to release it for you to listen. I keep my non-political neutral stance, but also stretch that a bit. She and I discuss some challenging ideas around race, allies, privilege, and more. I have a lot of anxiety about releasing this, knowing that it is not perfect, but maybe we need some of that imperfect conversation right now. Shyla is a trauma-informed life coach, and I highly recommend you follow Shyla on her social media and listen to her podcast. It's called Grow, Heal, Change, and her website is shylacash.com. My name is Justin Sinceri. Welcome to Stuck, Not Broken. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm super happy right now. That's, that's how I'm doing. Oh, I feel really... You, there's there's the few people that I'm genuinely just interested in talking with, and you're one of those people. There's something about you that has always just kind of stuck with me. Your comments are always like distinct. It has a different feel to it. Your podcast has a different feel to it. Um, I listened to did the sec, did part two come out? Um, for yeah, for, gen, it, did well, it? Okay, it's been recorded. I recorded it last night, but it'll come out. Oh, cool. Um, tomorrow. Yeah, hearing that, and it wasn't a one-layered thing. Like you're, you were addressing multiple layers of uh, what's happening within Black community of America. I guess just to put it very, very broadly, as yeah. I'm understanding it. But to hear the nuances of it, and so yeah, you as a person, some for some reason just stuck out to me. Ever I really since. appreciate yeah. that. I really appreciate that. That's that's great to hear that kind of feedback from another person that's in this field and doing this kind of work because I've always considered my approach to be very sort of a mishmash in terms of how I approach it because like I think that modalities have limitations, right? Yeah. And so I agree. I'm always like fearful of pushing even though I love all the, like every modality, I love reading about them and studying them, but I think they have limitations to them. And I think sometimes we get so attached, almost like the way we get attached to religious beliefs sometimes in like the trauma healing community. It's like we get so attached to these modalities and these methods and these theories. And that has always scared me. Like I don't want to ever latch on so much to the modality that it loses its nuance and it loses its its impact really yeah so I really appreciate that and I've always loved your Thank content you. too I love the polyvagal podcast it's super um it, I like that it's it's very much open-ended in a way like you ask a lot of questions and I really like that I don't want to I don't did you listen to the one that came out on Monday the dividing line one no not it yet. really it really kind of says where I'm at and that's what you picked up on is like, I'm not here to, to tell people what to think yeah, and whatnot. And my goal is to be clear, but also inviting and whatnot. But I yeah. also recognize, I also recognize that in my goal of being, of staying away from a lot of topics, I've neglected a big part of my audience. So I'm recognizing that and trying to step up in, in a different way, but in my own way, you know? Yeah. So that's that's kind of the crux of it, and that's kind of where where I'm at. And so so I'm like, all right, how can I address um, 
race, maybe religion, I'm maybe curious. sex. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. Do you feel? Did you feel like a pressure around this? Like, because I saw. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Are is this part of the podcast right now? It's recording, but I can edit out anything. Okay, I'm just curious because um, I noticed a lot of people, mm-hmm. obviously commenting on people's stuff, mm-hmm. and I was yeah. just curious if you felt pressure to talk about this because I know when people feel pressure, sometimes they automatically recoil. Like that's just, you know right. what the bagel theory is. Like it's, it doesn't feel safe to feel right. forced to talk about something or to feel pressured to suddenly see this viewpoint that, you know, maybe you don't agree with, or maybe you don't understand, or maybe you're just unaware of to be sort of pushed into. Cause that's kind of what I'm seeing is like, there is this push and I think that's yeah. okay. Like in yeah. some ways that's okay. Like, if you think about, like, again, I always go back to, like, a dysfunctional family. Sometimes you have to push to get your parents to see, like, this. Do you see the dynamic here, right? If it's a parent that can listen. You know, in my family, I had one parent that could listen, one parent that couldn't. And it was, it did feel like this same feeling of, like, pushing somebody into an understanding simply by just not stopping or just speaking what you really feel and how you really feel and how it's affected you. Yeah. But I, I just wonder, I don't know. I, I have a lot of questions about this movement and everything that's happening, For real. Yeah, yeah. you know, and because there is like, there is a huge part of the black community that is very conservative. That ah, is, I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> I'm that sorry, it, not, that excites me. That excites me. Not because of the conservative piece of it. I'm not going to tell you where I land on that. Yeah. But I'll, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Cause I'll, I'll add on to that. We might even get to our topic, but we're just okay. talking. Please, please, okay, please go ahead. There, there is a very, and I, I mean, Candace Owens <laughs> is the loudest and the most extreme. That's the extreme, yes. Right. Yes. But I'm not talking necessarily about Candace Owens. I'm talking more so like Ben Carson, right, Condoleezza right. Rice. Right, right, right. Shelby Steele, Walter Williams, like, like incredible, brilliant people. Minds. I love yeah. me some Walter. Oh my god, I love yes. Walter Williams. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who are like literally? They're not just pioneers for the black community. They're pioneers for the global community. Thought. In yeah, Thought, yeah, like in their capacity. Human, to yeah, right, right. Yeah, and and discuss these issues and talk about these things in a way that has a little bit more nuance. A little and, more. Yeah. <laughs> You got you got me excited. Like you're you're naming names. I'm like, oh, I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know where you're coming yeah. from. Yeah. Because I'm always afraid. I'm afraid of the thought police too. You know, I, you? I don't. I don't that, ever want to. That surprises me, and I know I'm interrupting you, but uh, I'm into it now, so that's gonna happen. Okay. That 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 really interests me, and to hear. So like when people said listen to black light or listen to black voices, I'm like, okay, I will. But I didn't stop at the popular ones. I kept going. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, oh, there's really like a. A lot of complexity of thought here that we don't yes. hear about. Period. Like we don't, that don't yeah. that do not get amplified. And I'm going back in history. I'm looking at current things, and I'm seeing all these different opinions yeah. and viewpoints, and they're all like really. It makes sense. And so it's like it's not. So to hear you say, I'm afraid of the thought police. I'm afraid it, of that. <laughs> and I get it. I've I'm always with you. been afraid of that. I've always been afraid of that, but. That doesn't mean that I don't listen. Like I hear right. it, I see it. And even me myself, you know, with the, what happened with George Floyd, like, so I'm in Canada yeah. and um, I know, like I mentioned this on my podcast too, about 
my dad's experience of racism and my grandpa's experience of racism, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I recognize, because my grandpa moved from, like, the slums in Jamaica, like, absolute slums. Like, you want to talk about bootstrapping. Like, my grandpa moved on a ship to London from Jamaica as a young kid. I don't even think he was 20 yet. And my dad said he went to my grandpa's neighborhood in Jamaica and he cried. He said it was just like, so the, the level of poverty. Yeah. And so he came from Jamaica on a ship by himself. Then he went back to get my grandma. They moved to London. They had my dad. Then they moved to Canada when my dad was five. And my grandpa tells me stories of racism and discrimination, like, that he endured, that he happened, or like when they brought my dad around in a stroller, they'd have people like lifting up the blanket, looking for a tail on my dad when he was a little baby. Looking for a yeah. tail? Looking for a tail. Does he have a tail? Yeah. Some of the yeah. stuff I'm like, I just, it's That's so incredible. far out of left field. Like, I, I don't I know. And this, but this is stuff that my grandpa, this is his lived experience, right? That, and that. And that that's so interesting to me. Like you hear, and he's still alive, <laughs> right? So oh, okay. that's very powerful to hear that. Like, and he was always, he's always been like a very much an intellectual. Like my grandpa, in terms of his intellectual capacity, so well read and so cultured, and like, you know, and he came to Canada, and then he had my my dad, my dad in Canada. So they had my dad in London, but they moved to Canada when he was five, and then they had the other two kids. And my dad also experienced racism, maybe not to the extent of my grandpa, but he did definitely, like, he was called the N-word a lot as a kid, like, a lot. And, um, but he was, like, smart and a very, very good hockey player, like, AAA hockey player, which is a big deal in Canada, right? Yeah. And so he was, like, the only black kid. There's not a whole lot of black hockey players, is there? Playing hockey. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. And there still actually is a lot of racism in hockey, too. It's interesting. Really? Like, uh, there was a black player that he was playing, and somebody threw a banana on the ice. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's recent too. Like, I that think is, that was yeah. a, that was in the two thousands that happened. So yeah. I'm not gonna sit here and be like, "There's no such no, thing no, no, no. as racism." But I'm also not. I, I'm not gonna police uh, people's thoughts and people's feelings either. And so I think I yeah. kind of fall in the middle of that. And my mom's also white too. So my mom's white and Chinese. And when she married my dad, my Chinese grandpa was not a fan of that. I won't say what he said, but he wasn't super interested in that whole situation either. So there's a lot of complex dynamics to my, my background, um, with race. And I, I like, I think it's just such a complex issue that especially in the states like I cannot I lived in the states for a couple of years I went to a music school there and I did definitely <laughs> um experience some racism there uh, from other students that were from like smaller towns okay you know if I was ever going to have sex with an n-word it would be with her and just you know so really wow. I'm familiar with it but I, I'm not going to say that I experienced it the way my father did or the way my grandpa did. Yeah. I mean, they really, I mean, I think there was more structural, institutional racism in their upbringing, for sure. And I think I can like understand that. Like written law that. kind of stuff. Yeah, well, not necessarily written law, but hmm. 
in terms of where people were in their minds progressively. Oh yeah, I of think course, yeah. it was just lagging behind the laws or lagging behind the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I find I find it so fascinating what's happening in the states too, um, because of the dynamics of, of slavery there. And I think that the big missing piece there is the intergenerational trauma and the understanding of how that works when it comes to both on whites and on blacks. Because like I said in my podcast, I believe it is actually traumatic to be um, inflicting harm on people like that. Like, I think I think it is traumatic um, for an abuser to abuse because they are reenacting trauma. Right. And I would love to know what the heart rates are and what the what's happening with the breathing and where the mind and what are the pictures in the mind when people are abusing other people. Right. That is traumatic. We can't get away from that. Doesn't mean it's okay. No, no, no. But I, I really do believe that on on both levels. I mean, just look at the criminal population. If you watch these documentaries that are on Netflix, these people that commit serial rape and murder, and if you think about Ted Bundy and what he experienced as a child, I mean, you want to talk about trauma, there it is. Go to the prison, right? Right, right, right. right. So you can't tell me that these individuals that are committing these, like, the seemingly shocking acts are not reenacting trauma on some level. I think we all know that, but how much... How much genuine curiosity and patience do we have for something like that? And I think that yeah. when it comes to like the audience of like the people listening to me or the people who are like the trauma nerds that listen to different podcasts yeah, and whatnot, yeah. they want to hear about, and I don't blame them, they want to hear about the survivor. Yeah. But when it comes to understanding the abuser, it's like, no, I'm out. And I don't, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. But, but at the same time, me. like, on my end, like I feel like I can hold compassion for both. I don't agree with the abuser, but I can definitely understand where that person's coming from. And I work with kids who do some pretty horrible things. If I can't come from compassion and to know where they're where they come from and what they've been through, like I yeah, I don't think I'm gonna be able to be a therapist who's coming in with judgment and then helping. So as a therapist yeah. and as on my end of someone who is apparently affecting people through the podcast, I I have to realize that what we go through affects all of us in different ways. And some of us yeah. take it out by taking it out on others, which I don't yeah. agree with, of course. I and mean, it's ridiculous I have to say that, but I got to put that out there. But like it, this, this stuff, we all deal with it in different ways. Yeah. And so having compassion for the abuser or even compassion for the racist, the, right. even the overt racist, the one that we can't all kind of understand, but the one who's like over the top and throwing the bananas, like what? I don't yeah. get that on some level, but at the same time, it's like something really bad must have happened to you or bad enough. I assume happened to kind of put you in that place where you are doing that. I think so. And I think this is something that I kind of get flack for talking about is personal responsibility. Um, But that's why I appreciate you. I know I'm pointing at you through. I appreciate (laughs) you so much because you don't lose sight of that. You don't lose sight of that piece. You can't because I, in my self pity podcast, I talk about how you can only carry that survivor identity for so long before you become the perpetrator because then everything you do everything you do is justified because of what happened to you see that's where my mom got stuck man 
You're dropping right? some like big stuff. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like blown away. There's so many big things. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Pick it up again because I, I did just, that was, that was a big one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Pick it it's up again. It's true though. You know, you can only be a victim for so long. And that was really my slap in the face was when I recognized, and this is where we have to really look at these bigger issues in the system too, because Shelby Steele talks about, um, who's a black intellectual, he talked at a conservative. Um, and I'm not necessarily conservative either. So I don't want to be pushing this stuff like I am. I just, I can ho- hold that sort of these seemingly contradictory viewpoints, I can kind of hold them together and make sense of them because of my experience recovering from trauma and um, understanding how these dichotomies exist within us, these paradoxes exist within us. And so I recognized that I was walking around the world really in a state of self-pity. I talk about that a lot in that podcast episode where Everything was, you know, it was all everybody else's fault. And that's not to say that my childhood did not impact me, right? Like, yeah. I, I'm i not going to sit here and say I didn't have a horrific childhood, that I wasn't abused. I can acknowledge that. But I can also acknowledge that and that that affected me and that affected development of my brain and my nervous system. But, right, when I became free from that, when I moved away from that, here I was. Because everybody wants to say, well, the codependent's the victim. Right. I don't agree with that. Mm. Right? I think they are victimized in the relationship, but I also think they perpetrate in the relationship. Right? These are very complex psychological ties and bonds that we have. There's a book, I I can't remember what it's called, but it was when I was first getting out of a codependent relationship, and I was the codependent. And here I was trying to control his behavior, trying to get him to quit his addiction. And he wasn't showing up for me. And I this and I that and this and that. And then when I read Melody Beattie's book, Codependent No More, and then I read another book called Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. And then I read another book and I realized, okay, I'm sick. I'm also sick. (laughs) And I need to change. And I need to take a lot of responsibility. I need to look at some of this dark, deep, dark stuff that's lurking around inside my heart and my psyche and my soul to break this attachment. And that's when I started realizing, Oh, okay. I need to take responsibility for my life. Like if I really want to have relationships that are good and I really want to enjoy my relationships and just enjoy my life and like feel good. Cause like trauma survivors don't, or people who have experienced trauma, I hesitate on the word survivor. Mm. Don't, feel good you don't feel good when you're living in that in that place of being so traumatized and that's not to say that it's your fault like when I say you need to take responsibility for your life I'm not saying it's your fault that your parents abused you when you were a little one right Right, I'm just saying you know now they're but you don't the path is over now so it doesn't mean we don't look at that doesn't mean we don't experience those emotions and those sensations and go to those places and be in denial and pretend like everything's fine because it's not but there's a balance there and I feel like it's always like one side or the other but you need both and so when it comes to systematic racism and understanding systematic racism what Shelby Steele says is so good when he talks about how when America made the decision to acknowledge okay we've done wrong here like we really effed up and we need to write this in 
we need to we need to change this. Then what happened is then they set black people free from slavery. And we're just kind of like, you know, it's okay. We, we've, we've set you free. And then, of course, you had your Jim Crow, you had your segregation, and you still have. I'm not going to sit here and say that there is not racism in, right. you know, some of these communities and in no, some no. of these police officers. I mean, you'd course, have yeah. to be, you would have to be pretty naive. Like, that's its own form of denial, right? Yeah. To say that that doesn't exist. But I think that what Shelby says about this identity of blackness became the identity of the victim. And it's this learned helplessness response that we know so well with working with clients who are healing from trauma. It's all this thinking. It's also in the physiology and the brain imprinting and the imprinting. But as a result of that, we have all these meanings we've made about our worth, what we're capable of, how we're inferior, how it was our fault. And we carry all this shame. And I think on some level, that's what's happening to marginalized communities like um, indigenous communities, black communities. Um, even people, offenders in, in prisons, it's like there is this cloud of shame that we may be aware of or unaware of. And that's what we live our life under. And that, and he said that in Shelby still argues that black people have created their own, they recreated their oppression. And I agree with that in some ways. And I don't agree with that in some ways, because I can understand that when I left my childhood home, even though I was gone. I still recreated those dynamics in my relationships until I healed my physiology, until I healed my brain, until I healed my thinking and did that deep work. Okay, like what does this happen to me? What does this mean now about me? Uh, Now I decide that. Yeah. The the piece about this happened to me, was that separate and distinct from, I guess I'm asking, feeling as if I'm black and therefore I have some sort of lower worth like you were saying before or I'm a victim are those separate things yeah I'm talking about the abuse basically in my childhood home when I say like this happened to me me my experience was recognizing okay this did happen because that was a huge phase of just coming out of the denial of gaslighting myself you know it wasn't that bad that didn't really happen that memory's not really real I remember I used to say that to my therapist she'd be like wow that's a very vivid uh (laughs) vivid memory you know well am I am I exaggerating it am I exaggerating it and it's like no you know you're not but you just don't like these feelings that come up when you think about that and you you just want to believe that you know I had a happy childhood it was perfect I had everything I needed but then you just pull the curtain up a little bit and you realize okay no (laughs) there was some things that happened right? right and I think that dynamic it's just like these are such complex issues. They are, yeah. And so, and they repeat themselves in society. And how do we know that? Because everything that society is is made up of human beings with shadows, with traumas, with psyches, with belief systems, with these things that we are so unaware of, painfully right. unaware. That's the word that keeps coming to mind is just painfully unaware. Like we've all had that experience. Like I always talk about that experience of like realization where like, you realize something and it just moves through you. Like you're just like, Oh, and you get it, you know? Yeah. And that's what it feels like to become aware, to become conscious of something that you've done or that someone's done to you. It's, it's uncomfortable. And I think that's yeah. where a lot of people are right now is like, yeah, yeah, true. we have been painfully unaware 
And now that is such an important phase of healing is going through that discomfort and pain of becoming aware. And I think a lot of people trying to escape that discomfort of becoming yeah. on becoming aware by going to this black person's Instagram or, you know, becoming a civil rights expert overnight or policing hey. somebody else's Instagram. Yeah. It's like, because it is painful to become aware. So if you, but can, what, what happens when you become aware, what happens internally? Cause I, I'm with you. Yeah. What what happens internally? Like what gets triggered? You know what I mean? Do you have any thoughts on that? And I can offer mine. I have no problem offering mine, but yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's because you know it, like, you know it, but I always say like knowing is different from awareness, yes. Yes. right? Feel, like I, feeling it, yeah. 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 Like, cause I heard these terms about privilege and um, yes. institutionalized racism and systematic racism. And I really was not, I knew what those things were and I understood right. them on some level. Like right, right, everybody's right. seen the video of Rodney King and that is like, okay, wow. You know? And so you know it, but I think with George Floyd, it was like something broke in the collective where it just sort of like washed over us that awareness like literally wash over us. I think it's almost traumatic to become aware because they say that trauma is a huge catalyst for change. Right. It it can be right. These near death experiences or traumatic experiences. And then suddenly you just change. Like what's that book? Post-traumatic growth. Hmm. So I think that is actually what happened. Like we witnessed it and it was like all the knowing that we had from all the previous instances that led up to now, all these ideas that have been floating around in the ethos. Like I think even Malcolm X's words are still alive in the collective. Martin Luther King's words are alive in the collectives. The modern black conservatives words are alive in the collective. And it was like, we just, we saw that and we were like, as a global community, we were like, oh, you know, it was painful. Well, what, what sucks is, a lot of the messages that I'm seeing when, I, when I'm listening and watching what black people have to say, it's, we've been saying it's forever. And yeah, that's true. But then there's also this, and I give up sort of thing, or like we told you so. And, and it's um, like, that's sort of added onto it. And it's like, a lot of people are now finally saying, like, like you said, like, I get it. I know these things exist, but we just watched someone get murdered. Like we all, yeah. you know what I mean? So it has this like impact to see it and not just know it, but to see it and to feel it. There's a big difference between knowing and feeling, obviously. Yeah. So it's like now yeah. we feel it. We witnessed it along yeah. with everybody. And so now our eyes are opened a little bit more. And part yeah. of the message that we receive is we've been saying this. Good luck. We've been saying yeah. this. Step up in your own way. And I don't, I'm not yeah. I'm saying those messages are wrong. Yeah. But it's, there's also like, I've been saying this. I'm out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many. Well, there's a lot of different messages, but that's part of, of what's yeah. out there. Yeah. It's, it's the range of messaging is quite interesting. It really is. Um, I think on Instagram, for me, it's been like me noticing to see all these black faces on my feed. I posted I it like a couple of days ago. That. Like I was like, oh, you know, like my dad's side of the family's black. My aunt's black. Like I you know, I grew up in a church environment, so there was a lot of black people there. But I think in the coaching industry, in the online industry, and I hesitate to say that it's white because there are all these black coaches. 
Um, and it makes me wonder if it is this subconscious thing where we are conditioned to see like these ideas about whiteness, like, you know, white dashness, like whiteness. Um, yeah. I never really understood those ideas. And now I, I think mm -hmm. I kind of do. I see them a little bit differently now. I think I understand that. And I don't think it is anybody's fault. And I know I'm going to get flack for saying Careful, that. Careful, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> In the sense that, like, when you, but you know, like, when you are unaware of something and somebody makes you aware, like, think about, like, I've yeah. had friends be like, Shyla, you know what? You did this. That really hurt me. Or my husband, you know, that wasn't cool. And you were just like living your life. You didn't recognize. And you cause somebody harm or you cause somebody to feel a certain way. And they bring it to your attention and it hurts. Like you're like, yeah. oh, I am so sorry. Like that it yeah. really, you feel shame. You feel guilt. Like you, it feels horrible. And yes. um, it's your fault in the sense that you did it. But to to come into that awareness is painful. I think that's a central part of the process. And I think having those conversations, like if you sit down and have a conversation with your husband or your spouse um, or your wife in your case, and that conversation is not going to be productive if you are constantly like, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. No, but if my no, husband no, says no. to me, this is how what you have done affects me. Yeah. You know, it causes me pain. It causes me to be self-conscious. It causes me to feel this way. You're like, oh, like you check yourself right away because you're willing to listen to that as pain. Lo as long as you're open to hearing it, right? If you're empathetic, yeah. <laughs> as long as you're open yeah. to hearing it, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. if you don't have, you know, a personality disorder and, and all kinds <laughs> of other stuff, like we're not talking about, I'm talking about, you know, the, the average person who cares about um, their but friends. But even then... <laughs> Right. No, I got you. But even then, yeah. like when you say to white people, like just in general blanket statement, it's it's um, it's not necessarily going to get through, you know, and I'll be honest, like I have my defenses. When I hear someone address all white people, my defenses go up right away. I'm like, well, hold up. Like, you don't know me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Tell but me that's, about that. <laughs> tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> what, my defenses? <laughs> yeah. Like, what does that feel like? So part of this is uh, an attack. It feels like I'm being attacked. It feels mm -hmm. like I'm being attacked for the choices of others. Mm -hmm. And I understand that there's the argument of like silence is violence. And if you're not anti-racist then you're not really, you know, about all this, I get like, I get that. Mm -hmm. But when, when, when there's, when you talk about like whiteness and I'm like, I don't personally. So for me, like I've never, I know I'm white, but in growing up, up until recently, I don't identify as white. I don't care. Not that I identify as something else. It's just my skin color to me doesn't matter. But I also recognize that it hasn't had to matter. You know what I mean? Mm, and I, yeah. I see and something I kind of envy in some ways is that I see mm -hmm. basically non-white people mm -hmm. identify based on, not based on skin color, but there's that, there's that like, there is kind of, if you're non-white, non if you're not a white male, there is like this sort of victim status that comes along with it. Or there's, there can be like this, it seems like it's like a victim mentality or we've been victimized by white men in just in general. Mm. And so it seems like that's sort of a uniting thing. Mm. And, and white men don't have that uniting factor. And if they do, it kind of scares me. 
because that's, mm-hmm. that's a whole that's a whole yeah that's a whole other topic right <laughs> it really is yeah so I'm I'm super reluctant to say I'm a white mm-hmm. male hey white man I'm talking with you because I don't it feels very uncomfortable yeah that to, is uncomfortable it's uncomfortable actually hearing that to be like hey white males <laughs> right I, and I don't I don't want to be a figurehead for anything that sounds remotely similar to that yeah, yeah you know what no. I mean but at the same no. time if I was talking to Italian Americans that might be more palatable, but you get the idea, right? Yeah. But so yeah, it's like, I, I so sorry, and something I've, no, it's, it's, something I've noticed, like when, even just out in public, you see two like black people, they, they instantly just sort of recognize each other. I like, I, I like to watch people and I, I see this sort of like head nod or just this sort of just like understanding this sort of like connection that I've never experienced when I walk by a white, another white person, male or female. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, or that's funny that you mentioned that. I, I asked my dad about that because I noticed when I was a kid that if, like, we were in a grocery store or something and my dad would see another black guy, they'd, like, nod at each other. Right. Like, hey, brother, you know? Right. And uh, I said, Dad, why do you do that? And he's like, you know, it's just how I grew up, you know? Like, I think because he was really one of the only black people in his white suburb. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were being called the N-word and they were being – people were, like, legitimately i think more racist then and i know i'm gonna get flat right. for that yeah, yeah, yeah. but i think it was more condoned then i think it was unfamiliar to have black people around you. i think it was like okay to for kids to say that to you you know what i mean when my dad was growing up and i think that's why and like still to this day he does that and um i, I that's i understand that but i yeah. personally don't do that Hmm. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I think it's interesting when you say like these, I wrestle with victimhood. I really do. I struggle with it. And I, I, um, when you say like minorities have been victimized, of course, if you think about Jim Crow, if you think about, um, slavery, if you think about what happened to Aboriginal and Indigenous, yes. Like that is victimization. George Floyd was but victimized. What, like I'm not yeah, saying straight he up, yeah, wasn't. But what about <laughs> you know not not victimized but otherized? And this is something like just growing up, all my heroes were white. Everything mm-hmm. we saw on TV was white. It's like whiteness, mm-hmm. if you call it whiteness, it was whiteness everywhere. Yeah. And that's yeah. I see a lot of change in that, but there's this otherized, like subs it seemed the impression yeah. I could see where what I'm hearing from black people is that we're viewed as subhuman or like substandard were not the norm based on skin color so to, to that's that was the kind of point was i've never had to say to other white people hey we you know like we are this thing because mm-hmm. i've never been otherized on that level that's just kind of mm-hmm. my thoughts on it you know mm-hmm. so that's so when someone says hey white people my defenses go right up because it's like I, I in no way do i identify i know i'm white but i don't identify as a white male you know what I mean? Yeah. That's not something yeah. I'm like, you know, do a little dap with other white males about and be like, hey, I got you. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So I when, get when that. so when you when we the we had brought up like when you were talking with your spouse and saying, Hey, when you do this, it affects me. So same mm-hmm. thing. If if my wife came to me and said, When you do this, it affects me negatively, I want to hear about the effect, but I might yeah. not agree with you on the premise. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So when you say, hey, you do this right off in the bat. In terms of like your intentions? 
or in terms of what, on, on what actually done. happened. Like if, if she were to come to me and say, you're not listening to me and this is how I feel about it. My mm-hmm. first response might be, well, I don't agree with you that I wasn't listening to you. You know what I mean? Like it, I might not agree on the accusation. So when someone mm-hmm. says to me, hey, white men, this is what you're doing. I might not agree on your accusation. So what you, mm-hmm. what follows after that, I might not be open to, which really sucks. And so recently, mm-hmm. after the killing of George, George Floyd, I set aside the white male stuff. And I'm like, let me start from scratch. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen through the accusations and, and really hear the heart of what's being said. Mm-hmm. And, and from there, I've been able to take in and understand. And those lived experiences I have found to be extremely, once I can get past accusations, and hear the lived experience, I f- I'm finding that very valuable. And that, hearing that has helped me to realize, oh, okay, there is some level of, like I'm more open to the idea of white privilege. It makes sense to me, I get it. The systemic mm-hmm. li- li- you know, racism, okay, I, I get it. It's making more sense. Now that I've heard your, now that I've heard your experience, your feelings, mm-hmm. I'm actually a lot more open to hearing about other stuff, but at the same time, I've gone beyond that and I'm listening to all kinds of black people who have all kinds of stuff to say. So yeah. I'm not here taking a stance on this is the problem. Here's the solution. I'm not doing that at all because it, yeah. it's, it's pretty damn complicated. Yeah. It, but it's I'm, super complicated. It is, but I'm super open to listening to like lived experiences and it's, it's making me, I think me better as a human being just to hear what people are going through. I think it'll make me even better as a therapist, you know, I, For sure. like, so I'm very open to like that, the feelings, the experience, and, you know, aside from blame and accusations and the why, and I told you so, and so we've been saying like, this forever. What blame and the accusations been, like, looking like to you? Like, has have you experienced that directly? Like, people messaging you with, like, blame and accusations? Oh, uh, no, not really. Oh, okay. No, I was curious was, about that, because you have a, quite a large following. No, um, I, I had posted some, uh, a... Uh, what was it a live stream and there was a few comments saying hey like why are you ignoring the George Floyd thing and someone said this is the epitome of white supremacy and here's white privilege at its best or something like that and it pissed me off it is and it pissed me off but rather than responding I'm like no I'm gonna I'm gonna slow way the heck down I'm gonna (laughs) slow way down and sit with this and like revisit all this stuff and I didn't respond right away and so when I did, I knew it came from me. My response was from me and how I actually feel about my audience and all this stuff, right? But not not too much hate. I think that there's the extremely loud, I don't know if it's minority of people at this point. I don't even know. There's people who have put their stuff way out there. There's the influencers who have lots of stuff to say. But then yeah. there's like everyday people. I'm really curious about, you know, the people listening to us right now, if we publish this. Yeah. I'm really curious about them, like what their lived experience is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, so not, not, think, not, not hate or anything. I haven't yeah. That. Yeah. It's hard too, because even within the black community, like people say black people. Right. But all black people don't have the same beliefs and they don't they have don't. the same experiences. Right, right, right. Right. And that right. is something that opened my eyes to the idea of white privilege. It was something that I was always on the fence about. Hmm. Just being honest, because I'm not saying slavery didn't happen, that that doesn't have traumatic effects, that that doesn't live on in the genealogy. That's not what I'm saying. But I just questioned that idea. And I I question every idea. That's just how I am. I'm curious about it. I will always be open to it. But I'm just I was curious about that idea. 
But when this happened and I watched that murder of George Floyd and I thought about where I was born, how I was born, the fact that my grandpa moved from Jamaica to London to Canada, you know, bootstrapped his way up to, you know, raising these beautiful kids who have, you know, great careers. And I, I, I recognize like even that in and of itself is a privilege that I was unaware of because I might've been, what do you mean? I didn't get that. I mean, where I live and how I live and the career I have and the life I have is a privilege. Right. Right. And so, but I, then I thought, okay, what if I grew up in the community that George Floyd grew up in or, you know what I mean? What if I was right. a part of these these areas that are even more discriminated against? These areas that are termed as like ghettos and, you know, what if I was born in those areas? Right? right. So just because I'm a black person doesn't mean I don't have privilege. Right? Because it's like just because I don't have this constant feeling of being oppressed doesn't mean that that's not happening. And that in and of itself is a privilege. And that is what, that really opened my eyes watching George Floyd. Like I was like, okay, I'm blessed. (laughs) Like I I am. And I do have a lot of, do you know what I'm saying? And so that bridged me to white privilege because that was something that I was walking and living my life, living this great life that I have that my that I don't experience racism like my dad did, like my grandpa did. And that's a privilege. Okay. And I was unaware of that. Okay. I took that for granted. Fair enough, yeah. And so that's what led me down. I was like, oh, okay. I think privilege is a thing. It is a thing. And we are okay. unaware of it. And that is why it's so hard for us to see it. Right. Right? Like, I don't have white privilege, quote unquote. Right, right, right. But I do have privilege and I want to be aware of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. And I think we all, I think understanding that we all have privilege on some level, I think the white privilege is the triggering part. It is. Because, but, but I think it is a real thing. I don't, I'm not going to like subscribe to it and like die on that hill, but I do think it's a real thing. And I'm not going to say that because white privilege exists, that black people cannot thrive, create wealth, right, right. create beautiful lives for themselves, heal this stuff, create beautiful families. Like that would be antithetical to the work that I do, right? Yeah. Like I believe that. Um, yeah. And it's it's kind of the same thing. Like I believe trauma exists. I believe people get abused in horrific ways by their family members. And that's horrible. And that's a burden that, you know, those of us who've experienced, we bear. And it is a form of otherness in some ways. And but that doesn't mean that you have to carry this trauma survivor identity around with you forever. Well, it's, it's hard it's, work, but you, know, yeah. you can make your way through that and navigate that and create your own meaning and create your own life. And it's similar to with white mm. privilege, like just because white privilege exists doesn't mean right that mm. you cannot. Beca- if you grow up in a certain community that is marginalized, that is targeted by the police that does experience racial discrimination, you still can rise up above that. And I acknowledge that that is challenging and very difficult and that you would be battling your inner demons because change is hard. It's difficult. 
That's why very few people do it on a deep level. Um, I feel like you're kind of saying that we have to hold to a couple things at the same time. Hundo and P. One, <laughs> yeah. yeah. One, of them, one of them is that your pain, whatever that is, is legit. When, you know, whether that's, it's legit. Yeah. Trauma, uh, whatever, whatever the trauma came Racist from, trauma whether it's like racism yeah. or parenting, parent stuff or whatever, that, like that's legit. But on the other end of things, that change is possible. And ultimately that comes yes. down to your decision-making. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think decision-making and also the influence in, in your life, who touches your life along okay. the way. Yeah, of course. You know? Right. Um, a lot, most people that are great are, have had, can remember instances, you know, of somebody touching their life along the way. And we right. know that about adverse childhood experiences too. You know, they say one adult that is stable, that is regulated, can impact a child, even if the child doesn't live with that adult. If they have a regulated, stable, strong influence of love and empathy, that can dramatically impact the life of that child. Right? So I I think it is, I think it is who touches your life along the way and, and, that makes a big difference. And I think that's why coaching is so powerful because it's like we are, we're made of each other. And so if, if I'm sitting down with a person who has completely different experiences from me, but has had the same childhood experience as me, but is living a completely different life than I thought was possible, that's going to mess with me. That's going to mess with my physiology, my brain imprinting. That's going to change my brain because I'm like, wait a minute, something else is possible for me. Yeah. You know, and that's a very deep experience to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I can't add anything to that. (laughs) (laughs) I have nothing to add to that. (laughs) Yeah. So I I am also myself and I think a lot of other black women that I've talked to in the coaching space, like we are also going through our own awakening right now (laughs) Mm. because we're like, oh, my God, we didn't even notice that we needed to see like all these beautiful black people being celebrated, but like we needed it. And one of the other coaches I talked to, she was like, really? it's literally wow. like a planetary shift. Like people are looking, they're seeing, they're recognizing, they're like lifting up black women. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. And men. I do. I think that's, there's something really beautiful about that. Cause I think too, there is a feeling of inferiority and this is like subconscious, like sub, sub, subconscious or questioning or inferiority or whatever that's there's remnants of that still in the collective I think and then to have it be sort of seen and acknowledged so openly with so much love and empathy very healing very healing and you it's again it's you're so painfully unaware that you 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 don't see that you don't know that that's something that you might want or that might feel good yeah you know you don't you don't recognize that But then I'm also, then the other part of me is like, but I'm scared. I want people to recognize me like for my work and my writing and my teaching and, you know, my efforts. I don't want to just be recognized for, because I'm a black coach. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I do. That's something that's always been super important to me is like the quality of work. Like I'm all about work. I'm all about high performance. I'm all about success. And I don't believe that you have to abandon those things to heal from trauma. I think there's some people that are just, that just have that 
I think it probably comes from my grandpa. I don't know. But because um, my dad's like that, too. Um, just like that value, like it just feels like it's in my blood. Like I like to work. I like to succeed. I like to achieve things. Right. And so that's important to me that the work to feel that like, I do. Like you've done the thing. Is like, recognized as the yeah. work and for the work. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Of course. Of course. I'm, I'm actually really glad that you brought that because that's, that's a hang up of mine is you and I already talked about, we had talked about talking probably a couple months ago, right? Yeah. I hope you already know how much admiration I have for you before all this happened. Like, I just appreciate you as a human being, you know? So yeah. my concern is like, is she going to think I'm inviting her on because she's black? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, and I, get I really, that. I really get that. And so it feels stupid. As, so like on my end, and I talked to someone else a couple of days ago and I had the same concern and she's like, it's fine, Justin. <laughs> yeah. And someone, someone in my comments had said like they missed having Mercedes on it and that she was a different voice. And I'm like, I had her on cause she knows her stuff and we're good friends. And someone else commented, cause it, for me, it's like, I want people to know that I value Mercedes for who she is. Mm. And that's why she's there. Like that's important mm. to me. Yeah. Like yeah. it's extremely, I can feel really passionate about that. Yeah. And, and someone else totally commented, we totally oh. did talk actually twice before anything happened right. with George Floyd about this. Yeah. 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 And so, but someone else had wrote, Justin, even if that was why you brought her on because of her skin color or whatever, like, it's okay. It is okay. I think and it I, is. I, that's like, weird that's for me. I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, that doesn't click. And I, I hear the words and I'm like, okay, I can respect that. I acknowledge that. But for me, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And it feels kind of weird to be like, okay, now I need a black person to come on. <laughs> yeah. I need my token. For a, <laughs> I need to get my token out. <laughs> Everybody knows. But let me go search for a, a black person to have on the show. Like it doesn't yeah. feel right. Like it feels kind of wrong, yeah. honestly. Yes, and I understand for me, that. For me, yeah, I totally understand that. But I think, but I liken that again, going back to like trauma dynamics and stuff like that, with a family that's healing, right? Again, when you bring in that element mm. of unawareness, being so painfully unaware, and then coming into awareness. You make these intentional efforts and they're awkward. Hmm. They're awkward because you're like, oh, it should just come from the heart. It should be natural. Right. But, you know, when you're changes like conditioning. And so it's almost like we're conditioning hmm. ourselves to see things other than, quote unquote, whiteness. Because I think subconsciously, I do feel and the experiences this week have made me feel like I think even me, I haven't been seeing the beauty of blackness or brownness or trans people or gay people. I haven't been seeing that beauty. It's because it's, a, there's a, this subconscious conditioning of like, and it's changing and it's evolving and change takes time. But there is, you know, growing up, I used to always wear my hair straight and straighten my hair because I, that's all I saw. Barbie had straight mm. hair. The girls on Barbie had straight hair, yeah. the OC, right? Dawson's Creek, all this stuff you grow up watching. <laughs> Dawson's Creek, I love it. Yeah, right? Girls with that was my show. Yeah, hair, you know all this yeah. stuff, right? So yeah. I always wanted to have straight hair, and then as I got older, I was, I was like, "What's wrong with my hair? Like with curly hair? Like why?" But it was like this subconscious, and so I think it is awkward to stumble around bringing these things into our experience and it does feel kind of cringy to be like hey like you're indigenous like you're black can you like be part of my thing but also <laughs> but 
but it's also in a way it's good because it's like you have to almost be intentional about these things. So that's where I kind of don't know how I feel about people like Walter Williams and Shelby Steele talking about like how they completely oppose affirmative action and stuff like that. Cause their argument is I want to be recognized for the work I'm doing. Like I'm killing it out here, you know, and I want to be yeah. known for that. I don't want to yeah, be yeah. the guy that like they kicked into the building on, on some basis that's arbitrary. Like I want to be recognized for what I'm doing. Right. And yeah. I get that, but I also can see that, it can be a bridge of healing to bring somebody in for both you and that person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, again, there's no one I'm not against it. I'm not, I don't know. Gotcha. We don't know the answers to these things. I, for me, it was just, I'm going to do what feels right. Rel- yeah. What's that? Yeah. And I'm not an expert in race relations, no, you know, yeah, no, I, no, but no. I do me, me, obviously. No, no. Yeah. But I do yeah. like read this stuff, study this stuff. And I, watch Martin Luther King and and mm. Malcolm and I've read Malcolm's biography I love Malcolm X so much I know he was controversial but he did change a lot you know at the end of his life and Malcolm's experiences like the murder of his father and his mother's breakdown and like again trauma this is somebody that ex- mm. that experienced insane amount of childhood trauma that's always my lens that I'm reading and listening to things about right is trauma and so what Malcolm experienced as a kid and yet the amount of courage and power and intellectual prowess and drive and deep like intestinal fortitude that this man had I mean it's incredible it's incredible right and I his voice for me like when I heard his voice even his voice like it was just like my nervous system was like whoa there's like I need to listen up like there is something happening right now. I need yeah. to pay attention. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's just, it's very, I talk about it. Like when it's like when people are really speaking their truth. And I think that's what concerns me a little bit about the thought police is it because it's like, is it coming from your core? Is it coming from your truth? The, right? the policing? Yeah. I don't know. I, I have my questions well, as well. Yeah. Like sometimes some people, I, you can, I, for me, I don't know. It sounds a little bit arbitrary, but for me, I feel like I can feel it. Like when somebody has done, right. Do you know what I'm saying? What I mean? There's, 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 there's been responses where I'm like, I just don't believe you. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't believe you. I'm sorry. Like, I just don't believe you. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it, it's just the power of like somebody who has kind of been down the chaos of their own psyche and, done that right. work on in their own system right like we can feel that as human beings i think on the level of, of our nervous systems and even i believe in like the spirit and stuff but like i think yeah. you know we can feel that that's why i like i get i'm probably gonna cr- get criticized for this but i love um dr jordan peterson and he gets you are black, like black <laughs> You're going to get lit up in the, I, know. I don't know where, but oh my gosh. <laughs> no, he gets so much oh. work, but you can't deny though, that when you listen to this man speak, when you read his writing, you're like, this man has been places inside himself. You can just right. feel it. You know, it doesn't mean that he's perfect. doesn't mean he's always no. right. You don't have to agree with everything just, he says. Yeah. I just, I just, I nod to that. Like I recognize that. Because that is 
a lot of the work that we're doing when we're working with people who've been through these horrible things. Like that is their choice to come into the room and look at that shit. That they are traveling a journey that 80% of human beings will not dare to travel. Right. And so anybody that is willing to do that, I applaud. And you can feel that. Sure. You can feel that. I think that's why like, I feel so pulled toward you. Is that I feel like when I first heard your voice or when I first listened to the podcast, like you just sound like you got your stuff together, right? And you do, right? But like, but then I started hearing about your history and like, oh, damn. Like she's done the work or is doing the work. You know what I mean? So and like doing, I, I feel doing, doing yeah. But <laughs> like done. that's that's like it was like she knows her stuff. I I genuinely like listening to her talk, and comes at it from what was the word you used? Uh, clear thought, something like that. Clear like you used a word um, in your podcast, and I think you posted on Instagram. It was something about like clear logical thought or something like that. Clarity of thought, something like that. Oh, high quality thinking. There you go. High quality thinking. I'm like, yes. Those words resonate with me. Like, there's everything about you just resonates and it clicks. And then to hear some of your history, I'm like, oh, wow, my respect level, you know, way up. And like, to know, like, she's not just saying stuff, like, she really putting the work in. For yeah, herself, yeah. You know? I appreciate that. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I can see that with you too. You know, I can see you grappling with these things on your social media. And then the thought police coming out, you know, yes. to police the content. <laughs> like I follow people that I do not agree with at all. Do you? Constantly. Wow. I find it fascinating. I find it interesting. I find it important to invite viewpoints in that make you have to examine your own viewpoint more deeper so that yeah. you you yeah. you nail it you understand it a little bit more like i follow candace owens i listen to her show and i don't agree with probably 80 percent of the things that she says wow. right um i yeah. really don't but i i it's interesting to me to listen to alternate viewpoints because i think it makes us better like when you are training i agree not that we need to be in fights with these people, but I guess like my husband, I love UFC. Like he proposed to me at a UFC fight. So, <laughs> or like right before a UFC yeah. fight in Toronto, it's just okay. our thing. We love it. Right and it's such a metaphor for life because when you're training, it seems like you're, you're fighting and competing against this other person, but you're not, you're, you're, you're training, you're, you're reaching deep within you and you're pulling things out that you didn't know were there. And you're going further and further and further. And you can't get better at that unless you are competing with people that are at your level, that are at the highest level. And it's kind of like that with mm. with thinking mm. and mm-hmm. intellect and these theories and these concepts. It's like we have to be listening to people who who disagree because that that keeps us in check. It keeps us, I think, from like dying on the hill of our dogmas too. To listen to alternate viewpoints right that's dangerous it's dangerous to me as a practitioner to hold something so close that I'm afraid of it being scrutinized and then practicing that on a one-on-one level with a with a client that's what I'm that's what scares me about 
No, yeah, no. But, but when it comes to the podcast, that scares me because I know people do that. And they, mm. we say we're all balanced and we like to listen to different viewpoints. But no, we don't. In general, no, we don't. You're the first person who said the, that I've heard. First person who said, like, no, I actually do follow and listen to people I don't agree with. So, like, not, no one else does that. No one else does that, right? It's probably just you. <laughs> I but I know, like, I, I'm, I'm exaggerating. But, like, I know <laughs> that people who are listening to the podcast, if I, you know, gave my opinion on something or took a stance on something, that it's it's ripping open. Like, our thoughts, I think, can contain what's inside. Yeah. And if we challenge our thoughts, that's important. But in my opinion, like I try and do it gently, like one little baby steps at a time. I don't want to come in and just sort of say, here's what I think is the truth and just start ripping off these caps, these thoughts, these thought caps that kind of keep our stuff inside. Because mm-hmm. first off, yeah. I, I, I might be wrong, right? And I'm, You know what I mean? But yeah. like, I also don't want to, that's not what I'm, what I'm trying to do here. It's like, I want to know, I want to like gently come at, you know, teach things gently challenge here and that's just how I work yeah but I don't even know how I got here but like I do think that our thoughts I think what kind of you alluded to our thoughts are a cap to what's inside Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and if we hear the opposite of what we think like we just light up in the wrong way like we just like it triggers what's inside I think so yeah think about it look look, look. okay with with the amplify black voices recently yeah they didn't mean all black voices (laughs) tell me if I'm wrong but they did not mean Candace Owens. The, they don't. They don't mean all black voices. They mean mm-hmm. the right ones, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But like, they don't mean all black voices. We have a point on that. They don't mean Walter Williams. They don't mean right. Thomas Sowell, right? Right. They they don't. They just don't. So it's when when I it's sad because amplified black voices. That's a great idea. Let's do it. But it has to be the right ones. And I know if I amplified. Walter Williams, I get a lot of heat from that. And that's just something I can tolerate. But if that's I amplify interesting, it's wrong. though, because it's not like Walter Williams says that like racism does not he exist. He doesn't. He doesn't. But I think we both know he's not the right voice. Yeah. And that's that's sad because what because then what happens is, and here I am going, I guess I'm not, now I'm in the opinion zone, damn it. But like what happens is I think opinions are okay. Oh boy. All right. <laughs> Keep me in check. Keep me in check. But, like, <laughs> when you say amplify black voices, you mean the ones that you agree with. Well, who are you talking about? Like, do you think all black people say the same things? Mm. Not you, but, like. No, I know. Me. I I get where you're coming from. Because <laughs> it's I not. Do. Like, what do you have in your mind? You have some sort of cartoon version of what you want in your mind. That's And that's not and the I think, complexity yeah. of human beings, yeah. period. You know? Yeah. And I think if you really listen to some of these voices, like even Malcolm, you know, I understand he was definitely a black nationalist. Like, I'm not going to deny that. And I'm not Mm -hmm. a black nationalist, but uh, the context of the time he was living in and all of that, that, that plays into it too. Right. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's interesting what you say, because I think it is like, and even Angela Davis, again, like I don't agree with everything she says, but you can't deny. I mean, this woman went to jail for being affiliated, quote unquote, with the Black Panthers in this like racist time. The woman freaking like represented herself and like got herself out. Like she is amazing. Whether I agree with her, her politics or not, you know, she's right. incredible. Like that is incredible. And yeah. I think um, 
Yeah, it's interesting what you say there. They don't. Yeah, you're right. Probably most of the people, most of the people that are hashtagging amplify black voices do not mean Candace Owens. And I mean, I have my own issues with amplifying Candace Owens' voice. I think <laughs> I agree with 20% and disagree with 80. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I think she's complex as a character study. Like she's fascinating to me. She really is. Her yeah. her she viewpoints really and and she really is. Yeah, yeah she's. But how, so how? No, I mean, like, how many times did you see? You know, can she? We keep going back to Candace, but did you see her get amplified at all? They, that's not what they mean. No. That's not what they mean. And it's like you want me to represent some sort of cartoon but version I of black people. Like Can, well, Candace is like the extreme opposite. Like Candace will come out and be she's like. Extreme. George Floyd was a criminal. Therefore, she said, "I know, I know." Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, "Oh, I don't know about that, Candace girl." Yeah, ooh, that's like that that's, yeah. <laughs> that's Danger Bay on that. Um, but uh, like, she would, she's way more radical than some of the other names that we've been talking about. Um, she is, you know. Um, but like, I don't think very many people would be would be amplifying her voice but i find her fascinating i would love to talk to her um well even like if you like i was listening to some malcolm x today a lot of what he says i don't know if it would fly nowadays and if i amplified that currently i don't think it'd go very well i mean so right. much of it was about building our own thing and responsibility and personal responsibility was and big it's like on huge he didn't want anybody taking nothing from the government he didn't want he wanted a dignified I think that's what I love about Malcolm is like he is like a picture of dignity to me the way he carried himself the way he spoke he was like no I'm something yeah. and I don't care if you think I'm nothing I am something and the way he was talking to black people like who taught you to hate your skin who taught you to hate your nose who taught you to hate your lips right. you're just, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is amazing like it is yeah. you know yeah I think it probably would fly within the groups that are saying amplify melanated voices. I think, I think so. Malcolm's voice would ring out and be resonate there. But I think what makes me nervous is that people who really don't know much about black history, and I'm not a black history expert by any means, but I know enough um, to have a conversation about it. Yeah. And what concerns me is we are saying that we're educating white people, right? Right. And but are we educating them about, like you said, black conservatives, Larry Elder, you know, all of these people who have a different side, different things to say? No, that's not coming out. No. And so I'm. Yeah. Yeah. So when you when we say to me, is it, and that's why I didn't go like I didn't go ham with the amplify stuff. I amplified people I found to be genuinely contributing to society and I think it was you and maybe a couple others and then there's a lot more but I didn't just go all out and amplify everything I'm like what like re what really is going to add you know that what represents the way I feel the way I think and what I want to give my audience so that's that's where I came at it from you know versus I think what makes, amplifying yeah everything. yeah I think what makes me nervous too is like the conversation about like allies and um <laughs> we're getting everything we are getting into everything. Yeah, that's me. I talk about everything. <laughs> Let's go. Like Let's when you go. get into that conversation about allies, I think it makes me nervous. Yeah. Because I 
personally, like my thinking is again, like I wrestle with this whole victimhood thing. Like I'm like, I don't need an ally. <laughs> that's how I, that's like my <laughs> instant response is like, yeah. why do I need an ally? What do you mean? Yeah, I yeah, can't yeah. speak of myself. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, that's, right. but then I can see the layers to it and I can understand, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm nervous about that conversation because, but I think it's good again, in some ways, because then if there's an ignorant comment coming up and you're the only black person in your professional corporate setting, yeah, you know, which I have been in and you know, something gets said and you're like the only one. So you're not going to say you're, you know, you know, what's up, you know, you have a career, you know, you have friends and colleagues in this place. So you're not going to be like, let's turn this into a session about like ignorance and this is why and blah, blah, blah. But if we have these conversations, I guess, about allies, then, you know, if something like that gets said, maybe that shifts the tide so that 50% of the people in that room, black or not, will be like, you know, that comment was a little offside and here's why. And then right. you can get into like a conversation where that one person doesn't feel afraid to speak up about something ignorant that's being said or whatever. So I understand that too. Yeah. But I think like I'm fearful of the ally thing just because – I don't want anybody thinking about me like I'm. Mm, that's interesting. You know, like, like, I, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's I, do. I, I got you. I got you. I have allies in the sense that if something like that happened to me, I would hope one of my friends would be right. educated enough to be like, "Don't say that to Shiloh. Don't say that to Shiloh. Yeah. Like that was true. <laughs> you know, like I would appreciate that. You know, too. Yeah. But it just like I would want to do that for one of my friends. You know, like don't say yeah. that about her. That's my friend. Right. Like we're not, right, you know right. what I mean? So I, I just want balance. That's what I want. I want balance. I don't want, and I, but I understand that when we've been all the way to one side, we have to tip all the way. And we know this about trauma recovery too. It's like somebody that has no boundaries suddenly becomes this like militant boundary person until they find their like their midway. And they're like, okay, I went mm. a little bit too much. I needed that though to come into balance. Yeah. So it's that's interesting to, to hear on, on your side of things, you know, if that's there's the more than one. That makes me nervous about the the allies. No, I, I've never heard. I don't think I've heard someone talk about that. But that's, posted, that's really interesting. Yeah. But I posted about Bobby because Bobby Kennedy and Jack Kennedy are so fascinating to me. And they, I know black conservatives accuse like Jack of like saying a lot of racist things and stuff too. But Bobby in particular is my favorite Kennedy. <laughs> and he here reading his story and their background like I mean these are like they are as privileged as you can get the Kennedys very affluent very rich mm -hmm. you know very privileged upbringing and Bobby's journey you know because he's like lorded today as like this amazing racial healer and advocate of civil rights and he was but his journey to get there was was rocky you know, he mm. had to unpack a lot of things and he started realizing a lot of things and he went to these impoverished communities and he started interacting with these people and he started to change how he thought about life and how he thought about the world to the point so much so his change was so genuine that people that were threatened by it actually murdered him. So, I mean, if we want to talk about allies, I think that's a really good conversation to have in terms of, of Bobby and, and his life journey. Like I find his journey fascinating. I think he was a real ally when we really needed that. What do you think the role of an ally is today? I don't know. If, if you accept the terminology and the, and the idea. I'm hesitant to even say I need an ally. 
Yeah. I don't know. I want to say like, just like partnership, which is the same mm. thing. <laughs> but I'm nervous. That term ally. Yeah. Makes me Cara Lowenthal, she's a life coach that I follow. And I think she has a really good podcast episode. I want to say it's like number 102. And she's been talking about this. Cara Lowenthal, like she's white. She was a lawyer. But she's been talking about this stuff, the patriarchy and being an ally for a long time. So she didn't just like jump on this bandwagon and start going. Um, she's been thinking this about this stuff and doing this kind of work in herself for a long time. And I think her podcast about being a better ally is really interesting because the way she describes it is, okay, everybody has racist thoughts. She does a lot of coaching on like money and stuff. And she says, you know, if you can accept that you have hidden beliefs, subconscious beliefs about money and your ability to make money, she's like, I need you to trust me and believe me that you've got hidden subconscious beliefs about people of other races, of other genders. And she said, I think people getting up in arms and being like, I'm not racist. I don't have this. No, no, no. The shame of that is keeping people from actually doing this work. She said, we need to just make it okay. She didn't say we need to make it okay. I'm paraphrasing. But she was just saying, like, we need to just recognize, like, I have racist thoughts. I have sexist thoughts. I have these kind of thoughts. They're there. I'm just not aware of them. And that's okay. And recognizing that and making that okay disarms us keeps us from hiding these things from ourselves keeps us from shaming ourselves and actually allows mm. us to just do the work on those thoughts and just unpack them and look at them and question them and dismantle them and i thought that was, coming up on that yeah i think that gonna, was, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do a, i'm gonna do a talk with someone where we kind of explore stories and what those uh, thoughts are that pop into mind around race yeah, because I think that's the the thing is like, I'm not racist, I'm not racist, right. you know, and that's what Shelby Steele talks about in his book, White Guilt, you know, that white Americans were just so determined, they recognized how wrong it was. And they were just like, we have to make up with this, like, this is wrong, like, and just feeling self conscious and guilty and feeling shamed. And then, you know, um, how, in his opinion, black people took advantage of that, not took advantage, but basically just like accepted that and used that as a power tactic and so it's it's like it's complex it's complex it is yeah so i think you, but you got to slow down and take in that complexity and really yeah hear yeah. and actually and listen to, to see that yeah yeah and just hold it all rather than trying to police right something that doesn't line up with with your viewpoint that's kind of where i'm at is taking it all in but, and holding it yeah all. I think people that are coming out super strong against the protesters and the riots are also policing in a way. Yeah, I'm nervous about that, the whole ally thing. But I have liked seeing a lot of the coaches that I follow, very popular, prominent coaches that I follow, like just acknowledge and talk about this and offer extra yeah. coaching or resources for um black women and, and stuff like that. And that's what's made me think about how I, I think this should be for everybody who lives in a way that is like the other. So for like gay people and cause it makes you think yeah. like, what is their experience? How challenging Absolutely. is that to be different yes. and yeah. to be okay with that and to come then to live your life as who you are. Yeah. In the midst of judgment and all of these other things. And it makes you think like where, what are our other blind spots here as right. a global community where we're yeah. just not paying attention to the lived yeah. experiences that are so rich and so colorful and so incredible 
of people in our, in our communities that we're not listening. Like, where yeah. am I not listening? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. I think that's an amazing takeaway from, from all this. Unfortunately, George Floyd had to lose his life for, for this to happen. I'm curious about the officer that murdered him and what his background is and what his childhood was like. Very, very curious. He's married actually to a a Filipino woman. For real? Yeah. She, well, she filed for divorce. But that introduced a new interesting element to me. And also another officer was Asian. So when we're talking about race and we're looking at these things, it makes me wonder, okay, is it also the added element of the power trip of being right? Right. Because you have to think about who, who, what the kind of individuals that are attracted to policing, obviously there's all kinds of different ranges. Not just policing though. Any positions of power, politicians, yeah, like who wants yeah. control over other people? That, that scares me. Yeah, like who seeks out? Like, yeah, I want that job. Yeah, and I think there are people that are like, you know, I wanted, I want to protect and serve. I want to be, right. I want to be a part of the system to change it. Yeah. That takes a yeah, lot yeah. of courage. But I think there are a lot of pathologies, pathological yes. personalities um, that get attracted to that. And even in the coaching world, you know, mm. um, it's really important for us to like look at the people that we are that we're surrounded by, sure. you know, in positions of power. Yeah. It's just, it's curious. It is. I'm really it's, curious. Cause I, I yeah. think again, like it has to be traumatic to murder. So like he murdered somebody Yeah. that has to be traumatic. Now, of course he's dissociated from that. He's not connected. He's completely lost his range of empathy and flow in that moment. Right. That's why I'm curious. Like I would love to know, and obviously we could never know this, like what are the heart rates and the breathing patterns of people when they're committing violent crimes? You know, what, what's going on there from For the cop, but he, he wasn't, he didn't even seem like he was amped. I have no idea what happened inside of him. And he it's did, not my place. and I found that very interesting. He For seems real. very subdued and, but also menacing in a way. Right. I found that really, cause, but you didn't get this sort of, outer ragefulness no it was all this sort of internalized seething um yeah numbness to me to me it was indifference but it's like as people are watching as you have an audience yes there's something that's very very scary about that and to think that someone like that can can have a position you know a job as a police officer where they have a lot a lot of leniency yeah. It's very terrifying. Just like I think the wrong people search out the wrong occupations. Like there are teachers who don't treat their kids well. You know what I mean? Right. right. There are there are That's pastors right. who shouldn't be around. That's right. So it's like the, right. the wrong people get to the wrong places. And he was one, apparently one of those people who was, I, I, I can't, I don't, it's not my position to, to say like what goes through his head and it's it unethical for me, me to do think. so, but yeah. It makes me think, like, did you see that TikTok video where the girl no. was talking um, to her parents and her dad was like, I, I work in these communities. These people, they just don't want to get better. And she's like, no. they've been oppressed, dad. These people have been oppressed. And he's okay. like, yeah, but they're like, some people are just filthy animals. And she's like, dad, you're calling these people filthy animals. That is not okay. And she, But what I, found, what I found really interesting about that is, like, how it's easy for us to project like our 
disgust or whatever onto these prisoners or people who live in in poverty or in this case a black person i find that interesting and is that trauma that's what i think is like if if you've got that much rage and that much because that is like suppressed almost like fugue state rage to be Mm. able to like commit that kind of an act so casually and openly and publicly it's like it's very (laughs) chilling but um it makes well, it obviously think, doesn't come from someone who is accessing their ventral vagal state and social state. No. Like they don't have empathy. They don't. They, obviously, no. someone who's doing that is not in that state. Like it comes from, and I don't think saying a defensive state quite captures it. No. To me, to me, when it comes to like murder or something like this, or mm. serial rapist, or I guess rape, like there, it's beyond defense because you're not defending yourself. To no. me, and I wonder, are they tapping into some sort of like really misplaced like hunter instinct? Plus, they had went through some sort of trauma. Like, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I can't wrap my mind around how does someone get to that yeah. place? What's happening internally? I know it's something, but I don't know what's think, happening. Yeah, I think it is rage because um, my experience with my mom, like when she would go into this sort of, and it was like you knew, and young, young, you knew, like four or five years old, you knew, okay, somebody else has entered the room. Yeah. And it's, it's like in that state of, rage it's like it's it's like it has to be pushed on to something else or someone else Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it makes me think that's the rage of being victimized that is misplaced in my that's my theory like at some point there was something done to you that pushed that traumatic rage like so just fractured it all up and then in these certain instances it can, it has a channel to like come out. That That's the important part is the channel though. And it, rage yeah. doesn't, rage isn't just amplified anger. Yeah. R- rage is a distinct thing. And based on Peter Levine, yeah. the way I understand it is that you get tra- trauma is part of one avenue of trauma is, and I'm sure you know, is where you get that sympathetic energy st- stuck within you when you're immobilized. Yes. Yeah. But that energy stays within you and yes. it's on the way out. And so I That's think right. that what what kind of energy gets stuck inside of you is probably similar to what you were going through in the moment where you were immobilized. And so yeah. if you were in more of a flight energy and then immobilized, I think you'll have more of a panicky anxiety flavor on yeah. the on the other end of things like that when that energy tries to channel itself out, it'll feel like panic. Yeah. Because it's like it's kicked on, but yeah. you also have that immobilization There's like a thing. to it. Right. Yeah. But so I think now my opinion is when someone is immobilized during a fight energy, that it's going to get stuck is. in and get channeled out as rage. That's mm-hmm. that's my understanding. But it's it's this frantic. Now what I find really honestly quite beautiful is as I'm listening to these voices this past week or so, rage comes up again and again and again and again. Now. Yes. Of course, of course, of course. But it's not this. It's not always this frantic energy. It's the, it's actually when you combine it with love and compassion, I think it could be directed in very very positive ways. Right. And, and that's part of what I'm seeing with with amplifying. That was Malcolm, I think. Huh? Malcolm. I think that was Malcolm. Okay. That's what I hear in his voice. Oh, okay. It's like this, like they call it in churches, like righteous rage. You know. Yeah. Like it's like cuts you. Like it's very. You know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like, not. It's not like this accusatory 
all blame just let's blame all the people or all white people or, but it's like you can be rageful and i can you can people could hear that when it comes from a place of love and, and nurturance mm. at least for within the community mm. and you could also say look i'm rageful and it's attached to white people mm. sure but it's like if you can and I, part of what i was hearing was like let's no your rage is righteous your rage is there for a reason Mm-hmm. And it's it's okay to feel that way. And so yeah. you, when you combine the rage with that level of love and compassion and nurturance and support, I think that you can channel that in a, in a very, very productive way. So I, I see mm-hmm. a lot of that going on. Yes, for sure. It's like how Irene was talking about when she was on your podcast, I listened to her episode and she was talking about the Unabomber yeah. and his his detachment when he came back from the hospital. And she said, you know, if we, if you know kids, when you're abusing kids, they want their rageful. Because when you're being torn apart by your parent, there is despair, there is sadness, but there is also this deep rage. It's hot, it's palpable, but yeah. you can't access that. Hmm. And I think... What do you mean you can't you access ac- it? You can't access it because you are trapped to your parent. Yeah. You know, you, 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 this is your, as a mammal, as a physical being, I mean, this is your source of supply, your shelter, your food, your approval, your validation. So if you access that rage, also that rage that you feel could kill you because also it's so overwhelming, but also because that parent needs you to be in this fawning oppressive state like I don't know if you've been around any real like people throw around the word narcissist but like someone with a narcissistic personality disorder that is your parent yeah I mean you are under life threat all the time because these deep fugue states are in this person and you don't know what you're gonna what button you're gonna push so you suppress your rage in favor of theirs so now but now carry this over to black people in America I don't know. You know what I mean? Because it's different because in slavery, yes, because that dynamic would be set Mm. up where your your master is Mm -hmm. feeding you, is clothing you. Literally, yeah, like it's a literal fact. Yeah. Narcissistic rage on you, projecting all their vitriol about themselves onto, you know, the black person, the animal of black person is how they thought of you know, right. us black people. So yes, I could see how that deep rage, because you can't speak out or you're getting whipped or your friend's getting whipped or you're getting raped. Or I mean, like course, this yeah. is horrific stuff. Right. So in those situations, absolutely. Um, absolutely. That would be there. And if it's unhealed, yes, you're right. It would keep making its way through uh, the genes for sure. That, that deep, yeah. physiological state of rage and hot rage and like you said it's not anger it's not the same no no thing. no it's, it's different than that but i wonder if there's yeah. a parallel even to to now with with at least not feeling yeah. like it's okay to express how i feel or there is not a safe yeah. avenue for me to do that or that if i do that i'm gonna get punished in some way from society yeah. in large or my friends yeah. will me differently or yes absolutely I think that's where the whole term microaggression comes from because I think that there's these little remnants Mm. of that where 
can I really say this? Are they going to think I'm playing a race card again? Like Tyron Woodley, UFC fighter, when he talks about he he he's not like the other black fighters. All the other black fighters, they don't want to talk about that. Right. But Tyron Woodley will always be like, well, he'll talk about how he thinks there's racial elements going on. And and it's you should see his comments. You're playing the race card. You're playing the race card. And I've right. always admired him for that, for being willing to speak out about some of this stuff, you know, because you don't always want to be like and you there's a part of you that doesn't want to think like, oh, is it? No, it's not racism. It's this. Right. And then you gaslight yourself. Right. Because you're like, you know. <laughs> yeah, you want to be in you. denial of it too you don't want to see it yeah so I think yeah there could be there could be an element of that I mean I don't experience that as, as a result of racial tension but I think in communities that are picked on and discriminated against yeah. they probably do feel that they probably there is probably this sense of like I can't fucking win mm-hmm. you know I look to the left I'm arrested I look to the right I'm slammed against the hood of the car you know, I, I can see how that dynamic would be, yeah. would incite rage. But I'm curious about also like the rage, the dynamics of slavery, the rage of the slave owner. Like when you see these things, like how these people gathered around for lynchings and stuff. Right. What was that collective dynamic there where, you know, because even when we see people, we right now, today, we can't handle watching documentaries about food and animals being tortured. Right. So what kind of human beings were yeah. we? What stage were we at in our evolution where, like, we cannot watch a cow that does not have good living conditions. We cry about that. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So how, where were we in our physiology, in our nervous systems as human beings? To be able to gather together and bring our children Damn. to lynching. I don't know. I never thought about that. Wow. That's deep. Like, where were we at? Right. Were right, we right, completely right. just, like, what was going on with us there well, as I would, humans? I would, I would assume that it has something to do with the way that black people were viewed as not being human. But And, and not just as, huh? So then, so now let's think about the Jews and the Holocaust and everything. Right. Not human. So the Jews, this is what's interesting is the Jews were not always thought of as that. Hitler ran that narrative. He took it and it stuck. Right. With black people, it was it was like they went to these countries and they took us and they brought us and they always thought of us as as uh, lower. But with Jews, yeah. it wasn't. It was like suddenly now it's okay for us to murder these mass amounts of people and send them to the gas chamber and torture them and practice eugenics on them right. and twisted experiments on them. It's like, how, yeah. where, where are these states? Is this a collective, like what's going on in the nervous systems of all these people? Right. That I got you. I got you. Committing this stuff together, which is traumatic to us and traumatic to the people we're traumatizing. And we're all just participating in this together. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. I'm with you. I mean, we, we see it with Middle Eastern people, you know? Yeah, let's change our laws and, you know, terrorism's a threat and therefore we can dehumanize and detain these people just because we think, you know, and I recognize, like, it's complex. Again, I'm not saying... No, yeah. yeah. Well, it's stop you know, and frisk but, in New York. I don't know if that's still around, but stop and frisk. 
was, yeah. I, I believe, uh, way more targeted toward uh, black yeah. and brown people. Yeah. And so it's yeah, like, what? These, these, they, they're still human beings who have rights. Yeah. So it's like, like but traumatic. that got tossed out the window. Yeah. And it's like, but that is traumatic that we're, we're participating sure. in that. Like, you're not going to for one second tell me that that's not traumatic for a little child to witness a lynching, black or white or not. Yeah. And so that, yeah. but that stuff gets buried deep in the psyche. And then that little child grows up and they're, of course, they're going to think of, you know, so it's like, and then this gets carried down the family trees until we become aware, until we look. So that's, you know, that's how I can reconcile the idea of like white privilege and these subconscious biases and stuff yeah. being a thing because yeah yeah it's it's fascinating and to watch Derek Chauvin do that I was thinking what happened to you because it's like Irene said you know when you are a kid and I relate to this experience and your parent is torturing you or you are being tortured or you're you are being wounded sexually emotionally physically like the Unabomber was, like so many of my clients were like I was, you do, you want to, you, there is a rage in you, but then you're also detached, yeah. mm. right? And it was like Irene said, it's like you yeah. have to understand what it's like to be a child and be trapped and what ha that does to you because it's like you said, that sympathetic energy, it's there. It looks like we're detached. It looks like we're dissociated. It looks like there's nothing going on, but there's major survival energies going on beneath. And so it, you, but you like, you see that, like you said that before you said there was like a buzz in people. Yeah. I see that when there's kids and I'll, I'll walk by them and they have this like buzzy feel. I don't know how to describe it any better than that. Yeah. But I'm like, Oh, this one really scares me. Like this kid, yeah. not scares me for, I'm worried for this kid. Like I feel the detachment, but there's also yeah. a lot of survival energy stuck inside of him or her. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm really worried about this kid. Yeah, because why would you need to detach? If there was nothing intense mm. going on within you, you wouldn't need to detach. You know, sometimes you look in people's eyes and you're talking with them and they have this nice veneer, but you can just feel it. You can see it in the eyes. Like there's something there. There's 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 pain there. There's rage there. It's just yeah. beneath the surface. But then you can also feel like they're detached from that. It's like how Dr. Drew talks about when he talks with people, sometimes he gets like these sensations like – like I'm feeling something in my stomach, like, and they'll yeah. be like, Oh, that's funny. Like my dad used to do this to me in the stomach or whatever. Mm. And, but they are detached from that. But it's like, if you're attuned and you're regulated, you can feel these things. Right. No, and yeah, so yeah, I yeah. wonder what was going on with Derek Chauvin. Like what is going on? What was his childhood like? I would love to know. You know, because no matter how systematically racist you are in our society, that that to go to that level and commit that and do that to the point where there no, is yeah, loss of, of life. I even, don't know. Like, it's it's interesting. Like it is. what what but, was going on there? But how many people are open to learning about that? And if you if we figure if we learn what happened to him as a kid, if something happened to him as a kid, um, that humanizes him. And I don't know if that's something that we can sit with. Well, maybe not right now. Right, right, right. Right? Like, maybe not right yeah. now. Yeah. Like, if a document, if the documentaries that are coming out now about Ted Bundy, 
where they're releasing his transcripts of his psychiatry and stuff like that's disrespectful to the victims. Right. Like, yeah. no, I got you. Yeah. Of course. Right. Um, but we're having this conversation just from like an objective level, but I can understand yeah. why people would be like, we don't care. What <laughs> in his fucking childhood. Like, of I course not. Know. Yeah, no, of course not. <laughs> you know, but just. And when it comes with, down to it, he did what he did and he should get whatever punishment he, he gets. For that. That's not but off I the think, table. I'm not saying like, right, oh, right, you had a right. bad life, therefore you're good. Like, yes. no, 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 I'm not saying that. No, 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 that was wrong. It was racist. It was horrific. Yeah. It traumatized like basically the whole world <laughs> um, because watching a murder is traumatic. Um, so yeah. that's why I also feel like we have to give grace to everybody on every side right now because everybody is, especially if you don't have knowledge of trauma and the impact of trauma like you were traumatized like that is traumatizing to watch somebody be murdered like that traumatized me it did I had to really sit with it and pay attention to my system for a while because and just let what was coming up come up and really be present and because that is traumatizing footage and so it's no wonder people are trying to police everybody else and everybody's like there's just this you can feel like this chaotic energy on the internet right because everybody's like in survival mode. Right. You so definitely it's like, feel okay, it. it's okay that you're policing because you're freaking out. Like, and I understand that you're freaking out because you just witnessed a murder, <laughs> you yeah. know? Well, and, and you know, it's obviously a lot bigger than that, but yeah, it's yeah. not just a murder. There's a whole bunch yeah. of stuff that comes along with that, with this, yeah. with this. Yeah. 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 yeah there's definitely that energy. In that. It's very loaded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You okay? <laughs> good combo. It's a good, good conversation. God. It feels like we just started talking. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But it's, it's fascinating, been... too. When I start, first started reading about intergenerational trauma, how they first noticed it in grandchildren of, of Jews yeah. who had survived the Holocaust. And you know what's interesting? All these pioneers of trauma healing, Alan Shore, Peter Levine, a lot of them are Jewish, eh? Hmm. Okay. Isn't that interesting? These powerful pioneers of the field of trauma. Yeah. A lot of them are Jewish. That is very interesting. I find yeah. that very interesting because there's a connection there, right? Yeah. They wanted to figure this out. Gabor Mate. Mm. You know, they Gabor Mate talks about that, you know, the experience of like vicarious trauma through his mom and and family members that survived the Holocaust. It's like, that is interesting. These people are looking a lot deeper into this field of trauma. They're changing the field of trauma. And here this stuff is in their family tree, in their blood. Like, that's yeah, fascinating. It really is. Uh, what's even more fascinating is we've talked for like an hour and a half, and I got my first A out of you. Canadian A? <laughs> Did I? <laughs> yes. I didn't even see that. <laughs> Yeah, well, only once. This whole like hour and a half, only once. But I'll take it. Oh wow! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! All right, what well. Talking about? <laughs> Did we just say? kind of like? What were you planning on talking about? Oh, this was supposed to be about rage and anger. <laughs> okay. We did a great job on that. <laughs> we, did... <laughs> we touched upon it. We, we touched upon it for like five minutes. Yeah. It, it's yeah. But um, wow, do you, what do you want me to do with all this? Um, I'm okay I with it. Okay. 
If you don't, if you feel comfortable, you don't have to. No, I think I'm good. And I think that's a good conversation for, so. for people to hear. I don't think there's anything threatening in here. I think we brought up uncomfortable stuff, but it's not like we were saying, yes, go listen to Candace Owens and go no. agree with her and vote, <laughs> vote like her. Like, it's not like that. I think we brought up stuff that is not going to jive with everybody, but I think we also, I think, I think it's okay. Because it's just not going to happen. No. So how do you feel about, you mentioned like how you feel like you want to be gentle with like your opinions and stuff like that. And you don't want to jar people and stuff like that. Yeah. I wrestle with that too sometimes, but I also feel like, I feel like in the trauma healing community on Instagram, there is a lot of self-censoring. And then I think Mm -hmm. what ends up happening is in some ways, like everybody starts saying the same thing. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Which there's nothing wrong with that. But because it's not like it's not helpful, right? Mm -hmm. Like it is. But I think too, like talking, I think having these conversations about personal responsibility and the, the different sides of what it means to heal. Like I remember I posted this post about like not thinking everybody's toxic because that's a big thing. Like when you're healing, suddenly everybody around you is toxic. Right. Yeah. And I did that too. I went through that too. Right. But I had to realize like, wait, (laughs) because you become super self-absorbed and self-centered and somebody posted, I've had enough of this bullshit. Like if I think somebody's toxic, they're toxic and that's it. (laughs) I was like, okay, that's fine. That's totally fine. I think I responded and I said, yeah, I, I, but I feel like labeling people toxic sometimes um, is more, does more harm than good. And I kind of like tried to engage the person and they just didn't respond because sometimes there is that feeling of like, Ooh, how is this going to land? You know? Right. No. Oh, uh, yeah. oh yeah. But at the same time, does it make it less true? Right. And if you're saying it from a place of, Cause there are people that are like truthers that just like want to get online and be like, Hey, if you want to change your life, you need to do this and this and that. <laughs> you have quite a range of like voice um, imitations. You've done a couple of them. That's, that's impressive. <laughs> but you know I, what people like talking about, right? Yeah. So it's like they just want to say it and you're like, okay, that's fine. I appreciate that. Thank you for expressing yourself. Yes. Yeah. No, but, I, I, I do. I do. Right. And so part of it. Yeah. If you're saying something controversial from a place of like, this is what I genuinely think and I'm not defensive about it. And like, I'm open to conversation about it. And then I think there needs to be a lot more of that because I think it ends up being like, I wanted to say whitewash, but that in the context of this um, conversation, that seems like not the right word because I don't mean it in that sense, but it like, because everything becomes like super vanilla in a way, yeah, and you don't get access to the meat of it or like the truth of it because people but are that, afraid. But that's upset. that's where I get hung up because when it comes, a lot of the people I, that listen to me are in a traumatic state or are helping people in a traumatic state. Mm-hmm. The way I work with trauma is not by just diving straight at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's va- there's value in like Peter Levine talks about a vortex. You don't just mm-hmm. jump into the vortex. You stay on the outer edges outside. Yes. So that's, that's me as far as like what I'm giving, that's, that's my approach is I'm going to stay on the outer edges. And then 
we might slowly work the way, or maybe yeah. my, my role is to stay on the outer edges and then you work with your therapist on the inner stuff. Yeah. But, but there's also a selfish thing where I don't want to jump into the, the heart of some conversations because I can't handle it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like as a white male, I'm not about to come out and say what I think is the truth for other communities no. or, what, or what they need to fix or just do more, <laughs> yeah. just yeah. take on more responsibility or the bootstrap thing. Even though I think there's value in those, I'm not about to say like, this is what you need to do. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm also not going to tell people, like white people, like, this is what you need. Like, I'm not going to tell people. Yeah. That I'm not no. about to jump into the car. <laughs> I don't want to jump into the, the, the no. middle of things that no. I don't have expertise on or that I can't carry a conversation yeah. on, like ongoing. Yeah. I don't want to do like a hit and run kind of thing where it's like, here's yeah. my opinion. I'm on the next thing. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's irresponsible. So, <laughs> like, blah, 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 blah. here we go. So, it's there's a selfish thing. Was like to me, it's like a responsibility thing where I'm not going to hit upon things and then run. But yeah. also on a more selfish level, or I'll call it selfish, but on a more realistic level of what I know I'm capable of, I'm not mm-hmm. gonna. I I can't deal with the thought police to much extent. Like, I'm yeah. getting my my taste of it. And I'm growing my capacity to handle that. Yeah. Because I live in shut, like I, I live in more of a shutdown place. I do very well with hiding. So yeah. I'm I'm broadening. I feel my I call my this podcast my therapy because I feel my window of tolerance, my vagal break growing when it comes to online thought police. Now in the past I would have jumped on it and bitten back and like been and argue and I like that, mm-hmm. but that doesn't come from compassion and love. So I'm really like for me. I'm not going to go into some of this big stuff because mm. of all of all those reasons, you know. But mm-hmm. but 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 at the same time, recently, what I'm realizing is I can sit with how I feel, not answer back right away, and allow that tolerance to grow, that that window of tolerance to grow. And then, as Peter Levine said in some webinar thing he did, that bravery comes through creativity. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because people say like they see me being brave and my first thought is always, I don't feel brave. And I don't mm-hmm. at all. I don't even know what that feels like if it is a thing. Mm-hmm. But but I can be creative. I'm a very, very creative person. Mm-hmm. So how do I take what I'm feeling what my, and what my audience is feeling that the world is going through? How do I add to it genuinely from my compassion and being creative at the same time versus just saying mm-hmm. the same things that other people are saying or mm-hmm. getting the, or getting the token person on my podcast like that's not i'm not gonna do that yeah that feels very wrong very wrong yeah no judgment to others but just for me it doesn't feel right so i'm gonna do this it feels right with the people i feel right with Mm -hmm. and that's not a whole Mm -hmm. lot of people that's just Mm -hmm. me yeah so but but i can be creative i can be very i have a lot of ideas already yeah Now, now i just need to be able to tolerate that sympathetic arousal and the fear that comes along with that and right now you and i talked about some real heavy stuff I feel safe. Yeah. I feel like we handle it appropriately. I think you'll be in more trouble than I will. <laughs> or at least you said things that should get you in more trouble than, I, than me. So I'm, I'm kind of okay with this. <laughs> but you know what? Most people, though, because like these are the th- like I have these conversations with my clients as well. Sure. Not this particular conversation, yeah. unless they're bringing it to the session. You know, then I'm whatever you want to bring to the session. I don't care. For you sure. know, we'll talk about it. But, um, I don't bring it to the session, but these conversations, these deeper conversations of like personal responsibility and sure. kind of like all of this stuff, you know, we do talk about it and it doesn't land in a way for them where they feel it's offensive or, 
you know, because again, one it's not about one, being yeah. a truther. No, I got you. You know, like I think Candace Owens is kind of like that, you know, like she's like, and like, you know, and, da, da, and she's just saying it, right? <laughs> she, Obviously, she does. She's not, a, she's not a coach. She's not a practitioner, you know, and she has some. It's all about truth for her. Yeah. Yeah, truth. <laughs> no, I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, it's all about her. For, for sure. Quote unquote. Quote unquote truth. Again, yeah, I got you. disclaimer, I'm not agreeing no. with 80, 80 to 85% of the things yeah. she says. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, I do want to say these things because for the person that's on a certain place in their journey, like I never, even when I was like in the thick, thick of my trauma, I was like so disconnected from myself. I didn't even know I had a body. I thought it was just carrying my head around from place to place. Like I was so disconnected and for good reason. But um, I never, the words like constantly saying words like trauma survivor and stuff like that. Like it just never worked for me. It never sat right with me because I always felt like I, for some reason, I always knew like if, if I carry this around as an identity, it's going to kill me. Like it's going to ruin mm. my, it's going to yeah. ruin the rest of my life. Like if I, if I really carry this on and there's a downside to that in that I was in denial of how much I needed to look at it and needed to address it and work on it. But there was also good in that because it allowed me to make my own meaning about what it meant to be abused by my mom in the way that I yeah. was. Yeah. And I think that's where I help a lot of my clients is helping them see that they can create their own meaning because I never wanted to be placated to, I never wanted to someone to dance yeah. around things for me. I never wanted, I wanted compassion and empathy and connection and for somebody to validate and recognize me, but I never wanted to be patted on the head and, you know, and, oh, you know, I never wanted anybody to dance around anything for me. Like I wanted yeah. it. I wanted, I wanted it straight, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's kind of who I end up speaking to is people who are sort of in the same right. place on their journey. Cause everybody's in a different place, right? I, There's I know, I know, places, I know. Yeah. Yeah. There were certain places that I was in my journey where maybe I wouldn't have been able to receive some of the things that I'm teaching, but my demographic, the people that I'm working with, the women that I'm working with, they do want that and they need that and they find it refreshing. So it's like you said, you know, it's everybody's on their own journey and everybody feels like a calling to, to different things, you know? I know, but and I, I know as a pod, and I'm sure you've heard as a podcaster that you're supposed to niche down and who, whatever you put out there will attract the people that, you know, should, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like mm -hmm. yeah. they, they say, be more specific as a podcaster, be more and more and more specific. Yeah. And I get that, but I'm also like, no, I don't want to. I want to appeal to anybody, no matter where they're at. I know it's not realistic, but I'm going to do this experiment and I'm going to mm -hmm. try and speak to as many people as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And I know I can't please everybody, but mm -hmm. I also know if, if I come out with my political views or my opinions that I'm going to, mm -hmm off the bat divide my audience and it's not about mm -hmm. numbers it's about community you know I mean? I, when, when someone walks when if i were to sell merchandise with the podcast logo on it mm -hmm. and two people saw each other that wore the same shirt i want them to give each other that dap and have that like acknowledgement and yeah. have it and yeah. have it not be about politics but have it be about like i get you on a nervous system level and i love you yeah that's what i yeah. want not about not about like Oh, we're both, no. you know, we, we both align with Justin's viewpoint of the world, you know, or, yeah. or politics or whatever. So I, I know we're supposed to niche, to niche down. But you and, are niche down. I mean, politics. It is, yeah, it is. 
it's right? I know what it's super niche. How much niche. more niche can you be? Like the, we are like even though we have a lot of people that are in this community and we know a lot, but yeah. for the general population, they'd be like, what? <laughs> so no, I think but... that serves you in a way because it does. you are so niche down, but even though you are so niche down, you're still speaking to right. anybody who is anybody... interested in this knowledge. Anybody want... who wants to know about polyvagal theory, where yes. regardless of wherever they are, yeah. you know, they're going to hear your work and be interested in your work. And like, Really, I probably won't talk about. I know people are like throwing the hashtag around. Therapy is political. Yeah. I'm not a therapist. I'm a life coach. I'm not a licensed therapist or anything like that. I make that very uh, clear. I'm not trying to act like I'm a therapist. But just for in the context of this discussion, hashtag therapy is political. I have an issue with that. I don't know what that um, means. Like, I, don't, I honestly don't know what that means. No, and the reason why I am even talking about this is because I recognize that there are people who listen to my work who are feeling afraid and there is a heightened sense of chaos and confusion and nervousness. So I wanted to just talk about it from a trauma lens still intergenerational trauma and how that kind of mirrors in our systems and how it affects how we interact with each other and our relationships with each other with race and sexual orientation and gender and all of this but it's still relevant. Like I really didn't talk about COVID-19 at all. Um, yeah. A little bit in terms yeah. of like, you know, making sure that people were doing the things that they needed to do in terms of like sleep and paying attention to their system and stuff like that. But to, for, to have a bunch of people witness this abusive act and like, we're talking to people who have abusive families and, you know, I recognize like this is going to bring stuff up for people. Right. right? Right. That that are in our audience that have experienced abuse. Right. You know, if you've had a parent abuse you and you watch that, depending on where you are, that might bring some stuff up for you. Right. In addition to everything you're you're seeing it constantly on the news and I mean like so I do want to address it, but you know, I don't know if I agree with like in my case it would be coaching is political, but I don't necessarily agree that it's political. What does it mean? I don't know. I think uh, it means, it's, uh, yeah. Is it like these these like intersectional pieces are important in therapy? Is that, uh, I if, think that maybe that's what it is. Yeah, actually, maybe oh, okay. I do it in that context. Well, yeah, in that uh, case, like yeah, of course, we, I talk about gender and race and all. Yeah, yeah, okay. If you call that political, I guess so. But I wouldn't call that political. Therapy I call that is political. Should therapy be political? Influence of social factors. What is oh, okay. the role of in therapy? Okay, I see. I see. Yeah. But I don't okay. I mean, I'm not political, but whatever. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Like I I don't know. I'm not super crazy about politics and stuff. That's something that I'm geeking out on and something I'm interested in, but it's not something I necessarily want to bring to the session or bring to my What work politics? In this capacity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't bring it, but if my client brings it, I'm sure. But I, I'm also very yeah. well aware that I'm a white male as a therapist. Yes. And if I if I'm working with someone who has dealt with um, sexism or what you know white men being racist, I'm super aware of like oh okay well let's point out and I'll say it out loud I'm a white male. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How you feeling about this? Let's put it out there. This is completely okay to talk about. Like that's mm-hmm. on that level. Yeah, sure. But I'm not gonna. I don't come in saying uh, you know who'd you vote for and stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's not political for me on that level, but no. That, no. no. But if they want to talk about who they're voting for. 
Yeah, as long totally as it's not fine. A, yeah, I mean, I guess I could roll with that as long as it's still therapeutic, but yeah, yeah. you could do that with a friend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think about white privilege? I'm curious. Do you think that it's a thing? I do on some level. I, I don't on at this level. point. Yeah. On some level, yeah. The problem with when it comes to, in my opinion, when it comes to, like you mentioned, narcissism or mm-hmm. toxicity, these words mm-hmm. get thrown around so much that they lose their meaning. In my they opinion. do. Yeah. So when it I comes to white totally. privilege, yeah, I, I, I do believe white privilege on some level maybe even a big level. I, I don't know how to measure that, but yeah, I'm sure it's out there. I've been, I've had a couple running with police. I've been handcuffed once. I've had a gun pointed at me. And I think when the gun was pointed at me, it was totally a power play. The guy was a whatever. But, yeah. um, but when I got handcuffed and put in the, a cop car while I was in there, I, I told the cop, I'm like, Hey, like, can I talk to you for a second? Cause I was like in shock. This was happening to me. Yeah. I deserved it, but that's, that's on me. And uh, I was like, do and I tried to like break it down like I'm a good kid and blah 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 and he's like are you are your parents Christian and I said yeah and he goes do you live around here I'm like yeah and he goes and he kicked me out of the car and I had to walk home <laughs> I I believe that at least saying my parents religion gave me some sort of privilege he was mm. a white cop I think it's a pretty safe assumption he looked at me as a pretty innocent kid I had blue hair at the time I was a teenager yeah. but yeah. um I think it's a pretty safe assumption that me being a white kid who talked appropriately and had respect for officers, and maybe that was yeah. a thing also was the way I came across, but I, it probably has something to do with it. You know, the other time where I had the gun pulled on me, I got pulled over for speeding in a parking lot. Um, and yeah, I was speeding and I should have gotten pulled over. But where did the gun, where did the gun come in? I had a fake gun in my car. Oh, and I had, I had a fake gun in my car and was stupidly underneath the driver's seat, but it was, I, and I had painted over the orange part. So this is all like, I honestly, I believe if I was not white, I, that may have come up, that may have been different, but mm. um, I didn't have it on me. I forgot I was in the car and they, mm. they had taken me out and they said, do you mind if we look through your car? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Cause I had to hide. And as they're looking, I'm like, Oh, blank. I have that thing in there. But it was because my friends and I made movies at the time. We used to record stuff. And we used to act mm. out like gun sequences. So I, I had this uh, stuff in my car, not because I was, you know, robbing people, but like, yeah, my friends and I were making movies in our spare time. Yeah, and I, I forgot. Like, I had, and there was a camera in my car too, so I'm like, so he found it. I wasn't holding it. He found it. I think he knew it was fake. It looked like the the gun from Tomb Raider. <laughs> but it's like it was obvious. I mean, to me, it was like this is not a real gun, dude. But but I had painted over it. But um, so he's holding it. And he yells to his buddy, there was two cops there. There was a white guy behind me and the, the guy with the with the gun who pulled it on me. He wasn't white, he wasn't black. I, it's it's fuzzy, but I believe he was, I wanna say like Japanese or something like that. Okay. But he he's holding my toy gun, which maybe he thought it was real fine, but he yells out some code. Before I know it, oh the white God. cop behind me grabs my arms and I'm handcuffed like like that. And I'm like, and he, po- and he draws his gun and points it at me, I'm like, you're holding my gun. I'm standing here doing nothing. So the fact that I got out of that, to me, that was a power play. Like he just wanted to be a dick in my opinion, that he was mm-hmm. just flexing, right? In my opinion, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah. But if I wasn't, uh, at the time I was like 21, I think. If I wasn't a 21-year-old white male, I don't know if that would have gone differently. I don't know mm. if it would have been harder. I don't know if, if it would have been less 
of a I don't know I, I don't know how that would have gone. I, mm. I tend to believe that might have looked different. I don't know if I if I wasn't yeah. white, I would end up dead, but I might have faced a little bit more pressure yeah. or whatever. So yeah. I, I I think yeah I think it was, I've probably been through a couple of things in my life that the fact that I was a clean cut white kid probably worked in my favor. Yeah, so that's I, I, I interesting. Think my, yeah, 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 but to, in situations like that, and to me, it was he was flexing. He was like. He just loved that power. He didn't like this yeah. gun on me. I'm standing there completely yeah. compliant. Yeah. I'm a, completely compliant. There's no reason to pull a gun on me. But so how he, did that de-escalate? Like, did he? What happened there? Did you talk your way out of that? Well, so he pulls the gun on me. I'm like, it's a toy. It's a toy. <laughs> I was like yelling, like, no, it's fake. It's fake. Something like that. Yeah. And they they were shouting something and. Um, and he eventually just put his gun down and they were talking about all his handcuffs and they were like saying how stupid it was and teaching me a lesson. And they took it and I was like, damn it, now I need that prop. <laughs> but um, no, they, they took it from me and that was it. And then I, I drove home. And the other, the other time where I was handcuffed. Why the did car, they take it? To teach me a lesson, probably. What's the lesson? Um... To not have a gun that's painted over. Don't be a boy playing games. Like I'm, yeah. I'm so confused. <laughs> it, it's it's illegal. So in in California, maybe it's a California thing, but it's illegal oh. to have painted over a gun. Oh. If it's okay. a toy gun with an orange tip, it's, like, it's supposed to have an orange tip, and it okay, did. Okay, I get it's it. It's illegal to right. paint over it. Paint it over it because okay, yeah. yes, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Got it. But the lesson beyond that, I don't know. That that was probably it. Okay. All right, yeah, that so, makes sense then. So if that's privilege. illegal, that they would take it. Yeah, okay, I get that. What's really, what's that really, really interesting, and this is a huge discussion that we're, we we're not going to go into this right now. Okay, we're not. Okay. But it, it is <laughs> it is interesting that I would say, at least on, on the level of, the law, or the enforcement of the law, there probably is some privilege there. I would think. Oh, hundred percent. But it's power. But, Oh, Raw no, right, power. Right. no, 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 no. I mean, toward white people. Oh, right? okay. But what's interesting is on a cultural level, at least in the United States, I don't know how much of a privilege that is anymore. Hmm. On a, it seems like as a culture, we're really shifting that in, hmm. in maybe a different direction. What's up, buddy? I'm hungry. All right, I'll, I'll be on in a minute, okay? Yeah. All right. Love you. I'm going to close the door. That's yeah. all right. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I do. So I, the reason I disagree with that is because even mm. when I see a white family crying on TV over mm. their child, it's like, and I, and I'm trying to think of that if that was a result of a police officer, imagine just like a middle-class family yeah. and the police, you know, shot this kid because he had a toy gun can you mm -hmm. imagine the media coverage the the outrage you think it'd be more the sympathy mm -hmm. i don't think mm -hmm. so i don't think i so. do i think so because huh. i think it's also it's not just race race is a part of it but i also think it's like the status of the individual right so like if if you're a cop and you have power in that moment and you're pulling over somebody that you perceive to be like an esteemed member of society or their parents are esteemed or, you know, there are these yeah. upstanding citizens. I think yeah. you'd be more fearful of backlash on that. 
right? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I'm, and I think that's, 100%. yeah, I think that's a big, it's almost like weirdly been normalized to see these black families weeping over their children being brutalized by the police. Right. I, and I don't understand. I, it, it's, it's almost normal. And that's what makes me kind of sick. And that's where I don't agree with the, the black conservatives where they say, like, it's not an issue. And I, I just. Right. You're denying no, reality. Uh, like. <laughs> no, know? no. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think like, I meant culturally, like. In, to, to me, in, so here, in my opinion, there's a mm-hmm. lot of tokenism going on. And I think that's kind of always kind of been there yeah but but i there's a there's an ad for ms monopoly well this is more about uh gender though where it's it's about building up girls and it's about inventing things and all of a sudden it's like buy ms monopoly and it comes out of nowhere but they're using sex as a way to sell their product so like Mm -hmm. culturally what we see is building up and building up building up i think it's i think it's not for altruistic means i don't th- mm. i think it's purely for the image mm. and maybe that maybe that's where that cultural shift where we're seeing a lot more um like gay trans like I, uh, from what i'm seeing uh, a lot more like feminist kind of stuff like to me it's a lot more out there mm-hmm. and promoted but i think it's more of it's like it's being used i think mm. to like sell versus genuinely being you know part of it or whatever Right. That makes sense. But that's sort of that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. But then that's sort of that thing where if we're pushing for change and it's something that's unconscious that we're not used to doing, mm, it yeah. is going to have that feeling of awkwardness or out true, of placeness true, at first. True. Because it's something we're intentionally doing because unfortunately true. we are so painfully unaware that, yeah. you know. So that might be it, my story. Maybe I'm fe- seeing that and I feel that awkward shift. And my story yeah. is, this is not real. Yeah, it could, it could, that could totally be it. Yeah, because I think, I mean, corporations, that's what their motivation is, is money. Right. I know, <laughs> right? as I'm saying that loud, so, I'm like, yeah, of course they're trying to, yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. And so yeah. if they, yep. they perceive that they have members of their audience, their viewership, their consumer base that is not being represented, of course they're motivated by money, mm. but I don't necessarily know that that is wrong in the sense because no, yeah, yeah, you're right you're right you know what i mean because they're kind you. of trying to intentionally yeah even though sometimes it does ring untrue and it's not super authentic <laughs> or feeling yeah. right it's like that stumbling yeah toward change yeah it might be that wow okay well i think we covered uh rage and anger <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that no, this is fun. It's um, it's just sometimes you just click and it's like right off. To me, it just felt like right off the gates, like oh, I got this to say and I want to listen to you and it just it was. I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Okay, well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Ditto. Bye. All right. Bye. Dear listener, please reach out to Shyla and give her a big thank you for donating her two hours to us. And yeah, I do mean you specifically. Please. Contact her through shallowcash.com or at change on Instagram. Give her some love. Uh, she's incredible. Shala, thank you so much for the conversation. I've been wanting to talk with you for a while now, and you did not disappoint. Not even one little bit. I've got a feeling that I have a lot more to learn from you. Thank you for being you and showing me a really beautiful example of being vulnerable 
unapologetic and open-minded all at the same time. I think this is what it sounds like when two people meet and have a genuine conversation about these difficult topics. But we had something going for us. We have a mutual respect and admiration for each other. Two people with incomplete understandings of the world and its complexities coming together eager to exchange ideas. I think these topics are energizing. It's hard to come together for one topic of rage versus anger and stick with it. This is really interesting, exciting stuff. There's tons of complexity to go into. I think it's very energizing. Whether we're excited to talk about it or defensive at the at the sound of it, it's energizing. There's energy to this stuff. So you might feel safer talking one-on-one like Shyla and I did, even though we ended up releasing it for everybody. But you might feel safer talking one-on-one than, you know, posting Instagram, your thoughts on these things. And that's completely okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to have even more audio content, uh, sign up for my Patreon. It's $5 a month. You get access to a whole other podcast called Polybagel Patrons. There's a link in the description. Thank you again for listening. Bye.